Welcome to the CanMed Coffee Talk podcast, where we talk with the leading minds in cannabis science, medicine, cultivation, and safety testing. I am your host, Ben Amaralt. I'm the marketing manager at Medicinal Genomics and proud member of the team that puts on the CanMed conference. We are back. You know, we needed a little R&R following the CanMed 23 Innovation and Investment Summit last month. A lot goes into running a successful event, and thankfully, we have an amazing team that made it all happen. Big thanks to the Medicinal Genomics team for all their work this year, and a special shout-out goes to the core CanMed team. Doug Kennedy, Taylor Watson, Sam Hindmarsh, Steve Daly, Denise Marston, Frank Pascaro, and Megan Howard, thank you for everything that you do. If you were able to make the trip to Marco Island this year, I hope you had a great experience. The feedback that we've gotten so far has been overwhelmingly positive. The presentations, networking opportunities, food, accommodations, even the weather was top-notch. And we can't wait to do it all again next year. Speaking of next year, we are working out the dates and the details as I record this and I will share that information with you on the podcast as soon as I get it. If you haven't already, go to canmedevents.com to sign up for email alerts. That way, you will not miss the announcement. And if you didn't make it to CanMed this year, I am happy to tell you that video recordings of all 28 oral presentations have now been added to the CanMed archive page on canmedevents.com. So you can still learn from all the leaders in the cannabis industry without leaving home. One of those presenters is my guest today. Arnaud Dumas de Roli is a leading expert in the science, technology, and supply chain of cannabis vaping merchandise. He is the co-founder and CEO of the Blink Group, a company that is transforming the cannabis vaping industry with its focus on safety, innovation, and quality. Arno's assistance and expertise in the vaping sector have been requested by multiple regulatory bodies across North America, Europe, and Asia. He currently works as chairman of the ISO, International Organization of Standardization on Vaping Products, and on the CEN Standards Committee on Vapor Products. At CAMED 23, Arno talked about the many variables that affect how well cannabis vape cartridges deliver cannabinoids to the user. You can view that video using the link in the show description. During our conversation, we dig deeper into the following topics. What should consumers and patients be looking at when choosing vape products? The symbiotic relationship between cannabis oil and vape hardware? Why emissions testing is important to understand what the user is inhaling? the vast difference of aerosolization rates for cannabinoids, how federal legalization may change cannabis vape regulations and requirements, and finally, tips for patients who want to vape their medicine. Before we get to my conversation with Arnaud, I want to thank this episode's sponsor, The Blink Group. Headquartered in New York City, The Blink Group designs, manufactures, and provides premium cannabis vaping hardware. The company offers a curated collection of proven cartridges, batteries, ready-to-use vaporizers, and complete bespoke device development to multi-state operators, licensed producers, processors, and brands. With full control of the supply chain, 
Blink's unique Powered by Blink process enables clients to provide innovative, safe, and quality-controlled products to cannabis consumers worldwide. To learn more about Blink, visit theblinkgroup.com. All right, and without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Arnaud Dumas de Roli. Good afternoon, Arnaud. Thank you for joining me on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure. Always happy to contribute to the CanMed community. Awesome. And I'm excited to talk with you today about vaping. Your presentation at CanMed 23 had a lot of really interesting points that I know you really weren't able to dive into due to time restrictions, but here we are today and hoping we can get into it in a little bit more detail. Um, but maybe before we start, I wanted to ask you about patients who vape their medicine um, because you mentioned patients throughout the presentation. And I'll be honest, when I speak with doctors on the podcast, they don't typically mention vaping as their you know, preferred delivery method. Um, so do you have a sense of what percentage of patients vape their medicine? Well, if, if you look at the percentage of sales, you've got roughly 30% of, uh, of cannabis consumers use vape. Now, when you look at the regulatory schemes in different states, um, New York, for instance, where I'm headquartered, uh, was a solely vaping state um, until until roughly three to four years ago, where uh, they started allowing other forms in the medical program, other forms of, uh, of use. I think one of the main reasons um, that was the case is because when you create extracts, you control more what's inside, so therefore you control more what comes out of it, and you have a better granularity in terms of effects-based um, medicine. I really believe historically that's why um, some of these states only allowed vape. Um, now, we also have the example of other states that don't allow vape, where provinces like Quebec and Canada does not allow vapes because of, of the vape scare and um, mm -hmm. the conflicting information with nicotine vaping. Um, that is still something I don't understand to this day. Um, nicotine vaping is a wonderful harm reduction tool. Um, you've got countries in Europe that reimburse, uh, uh, that reimburse users that switch from smoking to vaping um, a certain amount every year to buy new vaping gear. Um, I think it's only really in North America where uh, vaping is chastised. Hmm. So I'm assuming, and it was very clear when watching the video of your presentation that, you know, not all vape carts are equal. Um, there are a number of different variables that kind of go into, you know, how many, how much cannabinoids are being delivered to the consumer or even the quality of it. So what should consumers or patients be paying attention to when they're, when they're choosing a vape cart? I think the most important thing to uh, understand when you're using a vaping product is the transparency that the producer is offering. Are there COAs? Uh, is the brand of the manufacturer of that vape cart present? Is there a serial number on the vape cartridge, uh, usually underneath? Uh, is it a unique serial number? Is there, um, is there any testing that's provided on the raw materials of that cartridge itself? For instance, the glass uh, outside, uh, or, or the uh, center post, 
uh, or the mouthpiece? What kind of testing has been done on that? And as a consumer or as a patient, what kind of testing do I have access to to evaluate if this product is good for me or not? Yeah, and, and I guess I'll put that question back onto you. So how immediately apparent is it when, I mean, I know from my experience, if I go to a, a dispensary and I'm looking at a vape cart, I mean, I, until I saw your presentation, I didn't even know I, I needed to look or that I should. But is it is it easy to see on the packaging to, to know kind of what sort of hardware is being used? It, it, it depends. It depends really on what packaging. It, it depends on which brand. Uh, some brands really embrace the fact that they're working with reputable hardware and, uh, and, and, and are willing to talk about it. Some others just put a cartridge in a, in, in a mini exit bag and don't put any more info. Uh, that doesn't mean that the product isn't good, but um, what, what, what you need to understand is that the cartridge itself uh, out of a, maybe what a $60, a $60 uh, vape device uh, the cartridge itself is uh, anywhere between two and three dollars. The cost. The rest is really the cost of the oil. So uh, oftentimes the cartridge is considered more of a commodity. Um, but when you really look at the science of it, it can't be considered a commodity because the hardware uh, and the oil is totally different. There is a symbiotic relationship between the two, but you can't test one and not the other. Uh, and vice versa. You can have the best oil uh, that has ever been created with the best effects, the more consistent flavors. Um, if it's in a bad device, it'll be a bad experience for the consumer and vice versa. If you've got the best device and you put a distillate that's cut with loads of products, you're going to have a bad consumer experience as well. So you really have to um, work with reputable brands and, uh, and ask questions. As a patient, as a consumer, ask questions to the bud tender. Has the bud tender been educated by the brand? Has, uh, or, or do they have handouts available on what is the best temperature to use the device at? Or what is the best voltage uh, on the battery that comes with it? Um, it's really, really important. And I think that's also one of the reasons why we saw uh, an uptick starting last year in uh, sales of disposable vapes. Because as much as it's not really sustainable, uh, unless you're working with a recyclable, recyclable vape, um, we, we can control the user experience a lot better and avoid a lot of those um, end user or patient mistakes of plugging a cartridge into a battery that's not made for that cartridge um, oh, by the prevalence of, uh, of, of, uh, of disposables um, has really increased over the past year and a half now. Wow. So it's not primarily just a convenience thing it's that the producer can actually control the experience a bit more exactly and that's what we have a hard time um explaining to our clients uh at, at the blink group is really guys you can't just buy any cartridge off the market because a lot of the companies um in uh in 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 more traditional markets like california like colorado will go online on alibaba dhgate and say, oh, look, I can buy a cartridge for 75 cents and really don't care about what's inside, where what's inside is going to influence the consumer experience. So it's really, really important that um, that companies, uh, brands, MSOs really understand the importance of the hardware and don't solely choose on price.
Right. And I love this idea of the symbiotic relationship between the oil and the hardware. And is it a case too, where you might have different hardware requirements for different types of oils? Oh, definitely. Um, there's, there's different oils have different viscosities. A good rule of thumb is that distillate is, is, is pretty viscous, uh, in terms of CPS where we're looking at anywhere between 50 and, and, and a hundred thousand CPS. Um, and when you I'm look sorry, at CP, what's CPS centipoise, it's the measure of a viscosity of a fluid. Got it. Um, and when we are looking at live resin, we're usually on some lower viscosities because we've got some either recombined terpenes in there or the terpenes have been re-added back. So we're on a product that's a little bit more liquidy. Uh, and then when we look at live rosin, um, which is solventless, which is pressed, uh, we go back to something very, very thick. Uh, so the, the mathematical process of vaporization is a mix of chemistry, thermodynamics, and fluid mechanics. So you have to understand all three of those to understand which hardware can work better with which oil. Uh, the added complexity of cannabis is that it is a plant. It's a natural product. So from one batch to the other of the exact same strain, when you process it, you will have different inputs. So the trick is really to figure out which hardware suits which oil the best. Um, we have we have a great rule of thumb that um, our, our, uh, our run-of-the-mill um, basic cartridge, the V12, is something that would work very well with distillate and live resin. For rosin, because you have more of that full flavor, because you have more of that terpenes, uh, we need to use a different device to make sure the client or the patient does not heat it too much. Hmm. So we increase the resistance, for instance, uh, to uh, be usable on the run-of-the-mill batteries that you'd be buying. Um, now, that's just an example. Uh, we can also look at the intake hole size because that will measure the rate at which the oil is going to feed the coil to turn into vapor. So obviously, the thicker the oil, the bigger holes you need to allow more of that to seep in. Um, there's there's a lot more. I'm trying to hit it really high level, but there's a lot more that goes uh, uh, that that goes into this. And really, the 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 performance of the vape cartridges on the market can literally be divided by 10 or multiplied by 10 by changing one of those variables. Right. And given that, that fact, and that you were saying, you know, some processors, they're just buying kind of cheap hardware from Alibaba. Um, I imagine that the performance and quality of vape carts in the marketplace can vary widely. True? Oh, immensely. Um, we've done some testing um, with different viscosities. So let's say you take a, a very, very thick liquid, you know, like, like, like honey, like molasses. If you use a uh, battery, for instance, at a uh, 3.7 volt setting with smaller intake holes, you're essentially not going to allow enough oil to penetrate the coil um, fast enough when the coil is heating up. So basically the little that has made it into the coil is going to be burning immediately. And not only are you getting bad flavor, uh, but you're also getting uh, toxic emissions because burning in essence is the same thing as combustion. 
So you're degrading the terpenes and the cannabinoids in there um, and uh, potentially um, ruining the, the experience. Now, on the other hand, if you have too much oil that goes in um, it, and, and too much of an intake hole and too much of a big porosity on the ceramic itself of the coil, you are going to see saturation. Uh, which means, which leads to clogging, which means leads to leaking and potential spit back through the mouthpiece. Uh, so it, it is very, very important to really match the hardware to the oil or vice versa and make sure you have a consistent supply. I think that's really the other, uh, the other side to this is the consistency of the quality of the product. Yeah, and that maybe brings up a good point too, and it's probably difficult to do in, a, in an audio medium, but as best you can, and, and if you have any visuals that you can maybe send over, I can put it in the show description. Can you kind of describe how the mechanism actually works? Like how does the oil get into the, the chamber to the coil? I, I'll, I'll be first to admit, maybe I don't fully understand it either. So it'd be interesting if you give us like kind of a, a high level of how the, the mechanism works. So basically you have the tank where you, that, that, that's filled by the processor, fills the oil into that tank. Um, on a basic cartridge, you have a center post and that center post has holes with a certain aperture that let that oil penetrate into the absorption material, which in most of the cases is ceramic. That absorption material is then heated with a coil and the oil that's in there evaporates. So we say it's vapor. It's not really vapor. It's called aerosol in scientific terms. It turns into aerosol. So very little particles that come up through that chimney of the center post and that the patient actually inhales afterwards. So as you can easily imagine, the characteristics of the hardware will define the size of those particles and will decide the, comp the, the, sorry, decide the composition of those particles based on different temperature settings, how long it was heated, uh, when was the last time it was heated, has it had time to cool down, um, and uh, and really a lot of uh, a lot of other uh, of a lot of other variables. Definitely, and I did want to ask you about about testing and about regulations because it's something you brought up in the, in the presentation, and one of the things that you that you mentioned is that all the testing regulations are right now all the testing is being performed on the oil that's going into the cartridge and not on the emissions that are coming out of it do i have that correct exactly uh basically colorado is the only state that has um that has set up uh, emissions testing um we've been a big part of that and and we really want that to be used everywhere think about it this way when you test a product for its uh its safety you want to test the product that the consumer is actually using, right? Mm -hmm. Well, right now we are testing the oil that's inside a cartridge, but that oil changes state. It's the same thing as if you, you would decide to uh, test the water in, uh, in, your, uh, in your boiler and not, instead of testing the vapor that people are going to be inhaling. So from a safety standpoint, from a consumer standpoint, it makes way more sense to be testing the vapor that comes out of it. Um, again, because there is a change of state, it turns into an aerosol from a liquid. So uh, that's really why 
we strongly believe in pushing emissions testing. And a lot of the performance testing we do on our devices um, have the end goal in mind, which is to provide a consistent user experience uh, from start to finish of that device, whether it's a cartridge, whether it's a pod system, whether it's an all-in-one all disposable. Uh, our end goal is really to provide that consistent delivery of those cannabinoids. Um, and as we talk about cannabinoids, that's really what makes this exercise difficult. All cannabinoids have different points of aerosolization. Um, we'll have CBN, for instance. If you have CBN in a vape, um, they're usually using gummies to help with sleep. But if they're using vapes uh, in a regular cartridge, usually when you're done with 50% of your cartridge, the CBN is completely uh, gone, completely degraded. Um, and another effect that we've seen with uh, most of the cartridges on the market, because obviously we don't test just our own, is the fact that THCA um, and, uh, and, and, uh, and, and various other cannabinoids actually increase in availability in the vapor throughout the lifespan of the cartridge. Uh, because those are basically the only ones left at the end. Terpenes have a lower boiling point, And when you're using a live resin at the end of the cartridge, you're not going to get a lot of that flavor. You're really just going to get the high that's left in it. Interesting. So you said that CBN, when the cart is at basically 50%, it's, it's, it's all gone? On, on the majority of the carts that we've tested, yes. Wow. There is no consistency in the, in, in the delivery. And mind you, it's not only because of, uh, of, of bad product. It's also because as, as an industry, we just haven't done a lot of research. We don't have a lot of information on how to better preserve these cannabinoids and these terpenes and these flavonoids. So we are able to provide a consistent delivery throughout the entire experience. So of the cannabinoids that you've tested, which one is sort of the most consistent throughout the life of a, a card? I would say THC and CBD are the most consistent, but the answer is a little bit cute, a little bit skewed. Um, the big caveat here is that those are the two primary cannabinoids uh, that are the most used. So I think uh, as the industry progresses and as the research progresses, we're going to be able to find more cannabinoids that can basically provide, uh, I would say, the same effects, but also be more consistent in, in the delivery. Right. And so will that have to do with kind of tweaking temperatures and, and different things like that? Exactly. It's really about the extraction techniques, the ratios, the, um, you know, we hear a lot about the entourage effect, uh, but what the, what we don't hear a lot about is the entourage effect of different cannabinoids with different terpenes uh, also modifies the physical properties of the, the concentrate. Um, it can make it less viscous, more viscous, and that has an influence on, uh, on, uh, on, on the vapor that comes out. And another thing that you mentioned in your presentation too, was adding additional terpenes too can affect, I think you mentioned either it was the pH or the viscosity. I can't quite remember, but, but that it, is a consideration as well. Exactly. The, um, the, 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 the pH is basically the acidity of your, of your products on, uh, on the majority of distillates, we're looking at a pH of four. Um, if you add a couple more terpenes in there, uh, which are more acidic, 
they are going to have a lower pH. So we're going to end up maybe at three. Um, and uh, once we get into those very acidic uh, products is when you start hearing about leaching. And leaching is basically the acidic nature of the concentrate that will be eating away at the hardware and extracting. That's why you call it in, uh, in, in, in science leachables and extractables. It's basically going to extract out of, for instance, the center post, if there is any kind of lead, it might extract the lead out of that center post and, and, uh, and that lead will end up in the oil, thus in the aerosol. So another reason why emissions testing, it would be better than testing the oil that's going in. Exactly, because emissions is what goes into our lungs. Excellent. And so from a testing lab perspective, um, how much more onerous or difficult is it to be doing emission testing rather than on oils? Well, the oil testing has to be done because the oil is probably used for, uh, for other applications as well. Sure. That's a given. Um, emissions testing... I think the biggest, from a lab perspective, the biggest, uh, the biggest issue is investment in the proper, uh, the proper tooling to do that. You need to get vaping machines. Uh, you need to be able to uh, trap uh, the aerosol that comes out and then analyze it. Uh, but once it's done, um, technically, emissions testing should be, uh, I would say, as cheap as regular oil testing. Excellent. Okay. Because the methods, once you've extracted um, the, the components of the aerosol, the methods are the same for the, uh, as with the oil for testing. So the methods are there, the, the, uh, the material and the tooling is already there to do those tests. Okay. And you also mentioned that, you know, we're hoping that federal legalization, it's on the horizon eventually. And when that happens, it's going to bring FDA requirements and regulations. Um, so, what do you anticipate those regs might look like and how different would they be from what's required now? So I think whether it's the FDA or anything uh, or, or any other government body, um, obviously when, when, when this goes federally legal, there's going to have to be some safeguards in place. And if we want to look at, for instance, the nicotine vaping industry, emissions testing was mandatory. Um, there's something called the PMTA process, the pre-market authorization approval. Um, that has three different parts. It has one part um, clinical trials, one part emissions research, one part really literature research on all the products and the flavors that are included in vapes. Um, if we want to take any lessons from that, I strongly believe that when the federal government steps in, those kind of, uh, of, of testing cycles are going to be required. And bear in mind, the PMTA cycles are in nine triplicates. So imagine $250 per triplicate. You got to multiply that by nine. Um, and then you got to work out the consistency of the product because, again, this is a natural product. So from batch to batch, you're going to have to be doing that. I believe that when the federal government steps in, uh, if companies are not ready and have not future-proofed their, uh, their go-to-market strategy and their testing strategy, uh, it's going to be a, a wild surprise out there. Um, the reprieve here is that it took them four to five years for nicotine vaping to create all of that. Uh, so there might be a moratorium for four to five years, but 
um, it's still it's still really a heavy workload. And I really urge all processors to start looking into this right now and understanding what those requirements um, might be and uh, starting to set up any kind of testing or research that needs to be done right now. Yeah. So with those requirements on consistency and things like that, would that would that limit the type of products that would be available um, for cannabis? I mean, I imagine like sort of like whether it's live resin or live rosin, kind of these more whole plant extracts would be hard to keep consistent from batch to batch. It will. And I think it's going to be a burden on the industry to prove to the federal government that um, we may not have that batch to batch consistency, but the methods of extraction and the methods of production are robust enough to ensure consumer safety throughout each batch. All right. Um, so we started the conversation talking about, you know, you know, how many patients, how many patients do we think are, are using vape? Um, and I kind of wanted to, to talk about, you know, for folks maybe who are using cannabis medicine now and aren't using vape, but maybe want to get into it. Um, what are some tips or some best practices for how they can do that? Well, I think the, the, the fundamental aspect behind this is bioavailability, uh, is how these cannabinoids and how these consumption methods are affecting the user. So uh, the short answer is it's going to be different with everyone. Um, now, there are ways to get there. You know how when we talk about edibles, um, it states even on a lot of packaging, please just have one, wait at least an hour before having another one because, uh, because of the onset time. Um, it's kind of the same thing with vapes. Now, with vapes, I think one of the best tips we can give is uh, whether you're using a disposable or, or, or another battery is really use the lowest setting possible. Hmm. The lowest setting in terms of voltage um, that's possible will allow to have better flavor because of the terpenes and the flavonoids that have lower uh, boiling points. So you'll have better flavor and you'll ease into the, the high aspect of, of the product. Now, once you get used to that low setting, then you can start increasing a little bit and really understand how that works for you as a patient, because it is totally different, again, from one patient to another. Um, I think if there's one piece of advice, that's the one I would give is really look at the lowest setting first to make sure that you get the effects that you're actually looking for with these devices. Now, there's a whole bunch of other little things. Um, I stated earlier, make sure that you have unique serial numbers, make sure you have the COAs of the oil, um, make sure you're buying from a reputable brand. Um, a lot of brands now have, uh, have the possibility of entering a serial number to see if the product is, uh, is, is a fake one or not. Um, I, think, uh, I think those are really the, the next best steps. And the last thing I would recommend is asking the, uh, the bud tenders uh, in the dispensaries if they can provide any kind of research they have on uh, that particular product. Excellent. And now, is there any way to sort of figure out how many milligrams you're getting per draw? It, that's, there is absolutely no way. I, I always laugh when I, hear, uh, when I hear people talking about dosing and cannabis, and cannabis uh, vaping devices mm. um, because dosing depends on each and every one of us. It depends on our endocannabinoid system. It depends on, uh, on, 
on something as simple as the length of a puff um, and all the way down to the viscosity, the, uh, the porosity of the ceramic um, and, uh, or, or, or the other kind of wicking material that's used in the coil. Um, it depends on so many things. Uh, so uh, there, there really is no way to say that. What we can do is look at each device and be able to predict how much, depending on the oil itself, be able to predict how much is going to be available to the user. Hmm. Uh, but again, that's not really dosing. I like to say dosing is the cartridge itself or the device itself. In this, there is one milligram of THC. That is the maximum amount you're going to be having when you're done with the cartridge, whether you finish it in 10 puffs or 10,000 puffs. That is the maximum amount you're going to be getting. Um, so it's more a factor of here's one milligram of nicotine uh, and understanding how long that lasts. So um, unfortunately, it's really trial and error for patients. Uh, but again, starting with that lower temperature is really going to help patients understand how this works. Yeah. And the other consideration, too, would be how much oil is left in the cart, right? Like you were talking about with uh, with CBN, if, if you're at half the cart, you, know, you might already be out. <laughs> Exactly. And, uh, and unfortunately, only science research and time will tell us how to uh, get a better grasp on that. Um, what I can say is that there are ways to get consistent delivery. Um, the, uh, we, we just came out with a device called the Simple, and we're very pleased to see that throughout the 90% uh, of the device, we have consistent delivery of all the major cannabinoids. Um, but that is also due to a new technology and a new way of creating the device. We could have never learned that if we hadn't looked at how this worked in regular cartridges. Excellent. All right, and so winding down now, um, I want to give you an opportunity to plug um, any other resources that you think would be helpful for the listeners uh, that they can learn more. And um, of course, plug your company as well. Uh, well, you can, uh, you can definitely uh, look for uh, the vape survey on our website. Um, blink.com, uh, the blinkgroup.com um, slash vape survey. Uh, that is a, uh, an initial um, user-generated uh, topography data research on how users, and we've separated into in Canada and the U.S., we've interviewed a thousand users uh, to understand how they vape and um, how they vape cannabis specifically. Uh, that was really to understand the differences between the nicotine puffing regime mm. and the cannabis puffing regime. Um, we all know that if we um, used a joint or a vape uh, like we do a cigarette, uh, we would basically be way too high because a cigarette is roughly 12 puffs and you've got a few minutes to take them. Uh, vaping or, uh, is, is a little bit more spread out because you can literally vape whenever you want. Um, so it's really important to understand those differences. So that's one great piece of uh, research that we have. Um, and uh, we are slowly going to be publishing throughout the next couple of months research on the consistency throughout the device uh, of, uh, of, of delivery of cannabinoids. So um, make sure to uh, head to our uh, Instagram and LinkedIn pages. Um, the handle is the Blink Group, Blink with a C. Uh, to stay up to date on all the new research that we're going to be uh, publishing in the next few months. Awesome. Yeah, and we'll be sure to share that with the listeners as well when that comes out. 
All right, Arno, thanks again for taking the time to talk to us today. And I uh, hope to see you out at the next GAMED. No problem. Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure. And um, feel free to get in touch with me if anyone has a question. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Arnaud. Please check out the links in the show description to learn more about the topics we discussed. Thanks again to this episode's sponsor, The Blink Group. Our next episode drops July 5th. That's two weeks from today. In the meantime, don't forget to sign up for email alerts on camedevents.com so that you can be among the first to know when we announce our details around CanMed24. You can also view videos of all the past CanMed presentations in the CanMed archive at canmedevents.com. I also invite you to join our CanMed community group on Facebook. It's a great place to interact with other cannabis professionals and share links and memes and videos and really whatever else you want to share. And finally, please do follow us on social media. We are on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Just search for CanMed Events. All right, and that's it from us. Stay safe, stay healthy, and be sure to come back for the next episode of CanMed Coffee Talk.